Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thank you for joining us again here in the StoryCraft Cafe. Boy, do we have a fantastic show for you today. Mark Graney, who writes the Gray Man novels, is here to talk about his latest novel and what it was like having uh, his novels translated into a motion picture that's now over at Netflix, and you can go watch it. What it was like to write with the uh, inestimable Tom Clancy, and so much more. We had such a great conversation with Mark on this episode. Join us this Thursday at noon Eastern time as we continue our rewrite a novel in 60 Days with Dabble challenge. Still plenty of time for you to come join in the conversation and, you know, work with us as we work on novels and get ready to take these ideas that we had back in the fall and take them to publication. So much fun. Join us as always over at storycraft.cafe. Thank you to Dabble for always sponsoring the Storycraft Cafe and this podcast, the best writing software. If you're looking for a way to take your thoughts and put them uh, into uh, written form, Dabble is the tool for you. Now on to our show. And welcome into the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. And today I have a co-host with me. Josh Hayes is going. Uh, Josh Hayes, you'll know from our write a novel in 60 days challenge with Dabble and our current challenge, our rewrite a novel where we're, we're tackling the rewriting uh, process. Uh, Josh is one of our panelists there and and he uh, was kind enough to join me today. But our special guest is Mark Graney, and he has a brand new book out that just released a couple of days ago, or three days ago, Burner, the 12th edition of the Gray Man series. And what a fantastic novel. I absolutely love this book, Mark. You, you. you you delivered again, Thanks you know, so like we like we expected. But uh, I, I just can't get over how you keep taking this series to higher and higher steps each time. I love it. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, um, we chatted about seven months ago when your uh, when your latest book, Armored, came out, and um, what a fun book that was, but a little different. For you know, Mark Graney fans, it's, it was not a gray man novel. It was not in the Clancy verse where we kind of first got to know you. Um, how has that that new book, you know, how was it received, and what was it like to get to shift gears a little bit and do something different? Well, it was received well. It it did well. Um, I optioned the rights to uh, in Hollywood to Sony Pictures. Nice. Um, so they're you know. That'll that'll percolate there for a while. We'll see yeah. what happens. Um, and uh, my publisher asked me to write another book in the series, so I'm going to work on that in the second part of this year. I'm kind of on tour for Burner right now, and just sitting on airplanes with legal pads, coming up with um, plot ideas and kind of outlining that 
second book in the Armored series. So I'll write that at the end, by the end of this year, and it'll be out next summer. Um, I first got to know your name uh, because you you got to work with Tom Clancy back uh, before uh, Tom passed away, and you know, not that that you need any help uh, in writing, but it you know, for. I, I know I have loved the times where I have gotten to work with someone that I considered a mentor and and learn from them and, um, you know, just just stand next to them and just kind of absorb, you know, some of that stuff. What was, what was it like to uh, to work with someone like like Clancy? Well, at first, first, I have to say it was really daunting. Um, it was I very, very nerve wracking at first. Um, after I had a couple books under my belt, I had a lot more confidence with it. But, um, you know, it was never lost on me what was going on. I was sitting in Tom yeah. Clancy's office and we were talking about, <laughs> you know, some high tech weaponry or fifth generation fighters or something. And I'm like, this is pretty much everybody that grew up in the 80s or 90s dream, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that, that reads those books. And my dad was also a big fan of Tom Clancy and he'd passed away. But I was just sitting, sitting there thinking, I wish my dad could see me right now. But right. no, he was an, he was an interesting guy. We had a, a nice relationship and, uh, you know, he passed away right after we finished the third book, unfortunately. Uh, and I continued the series, but it would have been nice to have done a couple more with him. I've heard something about Clancy and, and I don't know if it's urban legend at this point or, or, or what, but you know, there was a lot of talk when, uh, when he first came on the scene about he has connection, you know, with the CIA or something, because he's, he gets all these details. Right. And the saying is, and I have no idea, you know, where this came from, but you know, he was just an insurance salesman with a library card and, yeah. and there's a lot that, that you can glean, you know, from that, but, uh, you know, as, as you have, um, you know, with the, the details that you put in the gray man novels and, and all of that, do you consider yourself to be, um, to kind of follow in those footsteps, you know, just, a an, uh, an educated every man that, that you can just kind of pick up things if you know where to research, like, like, because you're not, you don't come from that intelligence background right. that, that I know of. Um, right. Like, like how do you prepare yourself from that? And, and is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. And I was, it, it was very inspirational to me as a younger writer to know that Tom Clancy was a 36 year old insurance salesman who worked in his mom's basement, his mother-in-law's basement, I think. And, uh, and then just read Jane's defense weekly and other intelligence publications, uh, war gamed, you know, with the board games and stuff. And, you know, this is all pre-internet too. So I, I, what I do doesn't, I doesn't hold a candle to what he was able to do. He would just reach out and talk to people. He didn't have any military connections before red October of any, of any note. Um, but once that came out, it was published, the Naval Institute press agreed to publish it. And I think they did 5,000. And, uh, then, uh, I guess, was it Penguin, uh, ran penguin, uh, snatched it up. And then suddenly there were millions and everybody, you know, everybody had a Tom Clancy book in their hand, but yeah, no, he was just, it, so I'm the same thing. I, I, I didn't serve in the military. Um, I, I'm not law enforcement. I have a lot of connections now. I had none when I started okay. writing. And, and honestly, the first Clancy book that I wrote, that I did, I wrote with him, um, I was told I wasn't allowed to tell anybody I was writing a book with Tom Clancy because they sort of had to see the finished product before they knew even if it was coming out or anything. Right. So 
uh, there was about six months in 2011 where I'm like going to the Pentagon and just trying to get access. And, uh, you know, people knew that I'd written a couple little paperbacks and I just, at every point I just wanted to scream Tom Clancy, you know, just to get the doors <laughs> to open up for me. It's and like so, a little press card. You get yeah, the exactly. yeah. So I, I still remember the day we announced that that book was coming out and I was like, Oh my God, I don't have to hide this anymore. Cause it was killing me to, uh, you know, to, work through most of 2011 without being able to tell anybody that I was writing a novel with Tom Clancy. When my you said favorite, that, uh, sorry, no, no, go, go ahead, Josh, go ahead. I was gonna say my favorite memory of the Humphrey October is that my grandfather had one of, I believe it was one of the original 5,000, uh, the, the Naval press, oh, the Naval, the, the Naval yeah. press oh, version. Yeah. They are out there. I've always wanted a signed one of those. That would be a dream to have. Oh yeah. I, I don't know where it is now. I mean, he's yeah, gone I and, and, yeah. uh, I, I wish I would have looked into that a little harder, but yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. That's an epic story. Um, do you, do you, because you said that you now have lots of connections, you know, that you've gathered through the years, does that change your, well, of course, it changes your process because now you can just ask directly and, mm -hmm. and sometimes probably get a clear answer, probably sometimes get a, a cagey answer. Yeah. But that, that obviously changes your your research for a book because you can now just go to the source or or does it? It absolutely does. There's like a couple of things I want to say about that. Um, <laughs> the Well, one thing is the first couple of Gray Man books I wrote, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now, but you're kind of stuck with the the way you set things up in the earlier books. You know, you, yeah. you, you've built your world in those, in those first books. So there's things now that I'm like, uh, I've got to say he's part of this unit, which doesn't really make sense, but you know, like, why would he do that? Um, but that's just, it's kind of inside baseball knowledge and it doesn't really matter that much, but I, I like, I like the types of novels that, that use a lot of research and, and, but use it carefully. And right. so I, I try not to mine sources and things unless it's something specific and usually pretty small. It might be like, Hey, you fly this type of helicopter, you know, could, could you reach this from there? Or, or, you know, something little like that. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm careful. I've been at the Pentagon before and they've told me that, you know, to stop asking that question <laughs> in different ways and, and talk about something else. And, um, you know, and, and, and you said KG answers. A lot of people do give me KG answers, but I like those just as much. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, rat out any, anybody in the yeah. intelligence community. I, I, I always tell people when they're providing source material, I'm like, you really don't have to worry about me. I will get it so wrong and misunderstand so much that you say it's going to, it's going to be a, you know, like even if you accidentally said something you shouldn't, it's probably not going to be exactly right. But it's really fun when you hear from the men and women who do this sort of thing for a living after you put something out, not your sources, but just, yeah. people, just readers. And they go, oh, I really like that. Or, you know, that was very well built up up until the point where it got very Hollywood, which is like, that's part of my job too. So, right. you know, but they, they acknowledge, you know, that work went into it to, to get some details. Right. Well, you can also use that card, you know, well, you know, I'm a writer. If you don't tell me, I'm just going to make up something. And, yeah. And yeah. they may be like, well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost I, literally in my career, I've only had a couple of people that wouldn't talk to me about something. Yeah. And uh, a buddy of mine who is a writer, uh, Keith Thompson, it was also a journalist and, and right as I came out, he and I were talking and he's like, I've all, he's, as, he's like in my X number of years as a journalist, I've always been 
totally surprised by how much people want to talk if you ask them questions. Right. And uh, and I've sort of used that mantra. One time there was something involving the DEA in Mexico where the DEA guy was like, nope, no interest in talking to you whatsoever. And then there was an, another thing similar to that. But that's like two out of 200 people that I've spoken to about these books over the years. That's wild. Um, in our uh, writers group, we're talking a lot uh, these days and uh, about characters mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, with, with this now being the, the 12th gray man book, is that right? That's correct. Um, yeah. You know, there, there are intricate plots and lots of action and lots of gritty stuff going on that, that people obviously love, but the reason they keep coming back to your books is because of the gray man himself, court gentry. And, um, and the cast of characters that you built um, where, First off, what was your first idea for this series? Where did Court come from? And, you know, this this guy that, you know, kind of exists, you know, on, on some people's radar, but other people, you know, could could care less. And, you know, yeah. how did you come up with this type of character? I uh, I'd gotten a couple of books in front of an agent and like a guy that I wanted to be my agent. Yeah. And he's like, I really like your writing, but your stuff is too. um he said it was like a little too much like James Michener or Herman Wolk. And it, it, I'm not comparing myself to them. I think he was just saying it was too wordy and, and yeah. dense for somebody that hadn't been published. <laughs> and But he said, you write action really well. So if you write an action, you know, a book, it, he even said, he's like, just picture a book where there's a guy on the cover standing there with a gun. He's like that, that, that I can publish. So I kind of took that to heart every time. Every time I would have like a three minute conversation with him, which might be once every six months, he I would just take everything he said to, you know, to the, to the nth degree, because there right. I was talking to a very successful agent. And so I was in Guatemala um, studying Spanish and went down to El Salvador and was by myself. I went down with like a few other people from the Spanish school, but I was just by myself in a bar. And this American guy came in speaking Spanish and it just was kept to himself and he just had this look about him and i was just sitting there drinking a beer and just sort of like you know how the writer's mind works you just you're not saying oh i want to write a book about this guy let's make something up instead you're just right it's just your natural state to be like i wonder if that guy's agency and why is he in the what if game movie? just starts playing exactly the what if yeah. game and so uh then you're like well he's agency and he's down here in the in the developing world because he's off grid and he's dressed like he's off grid and he totally like blends in down here, even though he's not Hispanic, he speaks the language and, and can move around. And so I, I don't remember how long, maybe half an hour, maybe an hour. I sat there having a beer or two thinking about this guy, I never talked to him or anything. And the next day I'd already kind of had this idea. I wanted this story, you know, I, like I said, the agent wanted this big action story, but I didn't know who my lead character was. And then once I, once I, thought about that a little bit more. I was like, all right, maybe I can fold this guy into some ideas that I have. I'm curious about the, um, like every book raises the stakes as you go through the series and, and more things happen, but uh, you kind of go more granular with your action scenes. And, and everybody says that you write action scenes very well, which you do. And my question is um, very specifically in the, in the very beginning of burner, um, court gentry is is uh, going on his little crusade against the the oligarchs and uh 
you have a, uh, first of all, I love that you let them scuba dive because okay. I know you're a big scuba guy right. and, yeah. and, uh, um, he hadn't done that before, like really in this f fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, but you take the, the tension of just simply what he's doing, right. Just laying the mines on the ship, but yeah. then ramping it up as you're, as now he's starting to fight some people underwater and you ramp that up even more with the ticking yeah. clock with, um, and then every time I'm reading it, a scene like that, I think, how is he going to get court out of it? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I just easy button it and just get him out, but <laughs> you don't, and you stack more and more. And then, by the time court does get out of it, um, it's so like a kind of a dumb moment. Like, of course he would have done that. That makes yeah. perfect sense. And it doesn't ever feel like do socks machina when you're just mm -hmm. going to have something like have a black Hawk come in and rescue him out of nowhere. Right. Um, so when you're writing those scenes, like how long do you take like planning out how you're going to do it? Or do you know how he's going to, get out of it before you start writing the scene? How do you put something like that together? It, it can take all sorts of different times, but I, I almost never know how he's going to get out of it. I am just thinking about building tension and building tension and building tension. So yeah. um, he'll be in a fight and then something will go wrong or equipment fails or in this uh, example, he starts to drown because the guy's cut his, uh, his, and at one point I think he's breathing the air out of the other guy's tank as they're yeah. fighting to stay alive. Yeah. And uh, and it's it is just as you're building it as because I do scuba dive, you just think of like every possible thing that could go wrong uh, while you're you know fighting for your life in the dark, fifty feet under the water, you know. Mm -hmm. And um and it's fun to think about that stuff. And and I just sort of tell myself, come up with a really really good problem, and then you then worry about the solution. So it, it's in my twelve books, I've written my lead character into so many corners that I didn't know how he was going to get out of. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I never want there to be, I mean, there, there's definitely some things that strain credulity and, and I'm okay with that because it's that kind of a story. It's, For uh, sure. it, it's over the top, but at the same time I try and sell it to you just as, as much as I possibly can. So that's what all the details do. And that's what all the, um, you know, a lot of the writing does is like, okay, you've created this situation that nobody can get out of. And, sell me on how he gets out of that. So absolutely. You know, sometimes I think I'm more successful than others. There's some there's some action scene scenes where he just shoots his way out. And there's yeah. a there's a lot where he has to uh you know I never want to do like as much as I love like the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. You know, there's like one in um I think it was not Spectre. Uh I don't remember which one it was, but he's uh he's fighting a guy it was the second one's Quantum of Solace. The, the opening of that it's a great great fight scene, but he's in this construction uh place in in spain or italy or something and it's just a, like an old church and there's all this construction equipment and scaffolding and ropes and pulleys and all this and you just the you know there's like a one second shot of him going like this you know turning his head right and then he does something with the pulleys and you know uh you know arrests his fall while he spins around and knocks this thing over and and <laughs> right. it's like you can't really do that in these books you can get away with more stuff in hollywood it looked really really cool and i'm glad right. that he did it in the movie but i you know as i start to write something it's like i don't want to look like uh the opening to quantum of silence silence where he just he just knows that if he you know jumps onto the moonroof of that car. He's going to go right through it. And, um, you know, be right. turn. you know, it's got to be a little bit more um, chaotic than that. When, when you say that you don't um, 
know how he's going to get out of the situation when you start writing it. Mm-hmm. Do you um, like when when his air is cut um, mm-hmm. that that sets a timer, you know, of, right. of, of some sort like he's right. got to get out of this in in a certain amount of time. Do you yeah. find that you do stuff like that, like like set these boundaries where I don't know how he's going to get get out, but we know that he's got less than three minutes to get yeah. out, you know? Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, that it's, it's an old writing adage is like you, you put a ticking clock in there and then something right. speeds up the clock. So in that scene, he's already set these mines that are going off in a couple of minutes and he's fighting this guy pretty near the mines trying to get out of there. And so it looks like he's, you know, he's down to his last minute and then his air gets cut and then he's down to his last few seconds. And, right. uh, but he has to sort of like come up with ways to, you know, sort of engineer himself out of his situation. Well, and I don't ever find like anything that he does, it, it, whether it's outlandish or maybe semi unreasonable, like I don't, I don't think any of it is out of character for him as, as uh, court. Right. right. Like, yeah. like he all like whatever he does in the back of your mind as a reader, you're like, yes, I believe that court could and would do this. Yeah. And, you know, you as it, inside baseball writing stuff, but that's what we're talking about. Uh, you you build your the rules of your world and then you live in them. And if the rules of your world are a little more loosey goosey than the real world, <laughs> then then that opens up doors for you. And this agent that I was talking about, he hadn't agreed to represent me, but um I told him I was working on something else is the third thing that I was going to give him. And I asked him if he would just read the opening of it to see if I was, had a good start. And it was the gray man. Um, and he read it and there's an opening scene where he's a sniper and he sees some people, um, he sees a helicopter crash and he can't get to the survivors, of the helicopter crash, or he, maybe there are no survivors. And just for retribution, he just starts, you know, shooting the, the people that had killed these Americans from right. like a mile away. And the agent read that and he came back. He's like, yeah, it's a great start. That's a really cool scene. He just needs to save, save somebody. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, he just needs to save somebody. I'm like, no, he's a sniper. He's like a mile away. He's like, I don't care. He's got to save somebody. <laughs> and so at first I was like, wait, I'm trying to do this realistic thing. And that there's just no way you can do that. And then I just said, you know, it's my job to find a way to do that. Right. So really that did, you know, I worked hard to, to, for a reason for him to get close to, and was able to get it, get this one guy out. But at the same time, I also just tweaked the world that I was planning on writing about. It was going to be gritty, super realistic. And then it became gritty, slightly over the top. <laughs> right. Just in that moment, in the first few scenes mm-hmm. of Gray Man, and it wasn't even my idea. It was my agent's idea. Thank God that he gave it to me. But um, but now I'm in book 12 and I will write things and I'll be like, mm, I don't know if you if you jumped across those two buildings and you landed, if you're court's age, late thirties, it's like, that's going to tear your ankles up. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I've I've created this world where I can get away with stuff like that. Well, and as readers, um, isn't that what we sign up for? Uh, You know, if if I want to realistically figure out, you know, how this is going to go down with a scuba tank, I'll, I can go down to the swimming pool and cut my my cord and then you know, see what happens, but yeah. nobody wants that. Or you, know? you can take my word for it. Or I can take your right. word for it. Um, or I can, you know, go on an entertaining journey and, you know, it, it's the yeah. same reason we read Jack Reacher novels, you know, like you, you are right. I mean, about, nobody wants to know Reacher, but we yeah. all want to read about him. You're right 
about 98% of readers. Um, but I get emails from oh, the really pedantic people <laughs> that, you know, it's that if you don't put something in there, you know, like I've, I've there was a guy that sent me this angry email of all the errors he found in one of my books. And one of the things was uh, a guy's going up with a, on a Zodiac boat towards the beach. And then it says, you know, he, he went up to the beach and he's like, you never, you never said that he pulled the outboard motor up before he got on the beach. And I'm like, I never said he went to the bathroom in the three weeks that this book takes place. You know, it's like, I can put everything in there for you. I won't, but you know, it's like, yeah. I think some people are just really, really pedantic. And I, I got a really long email um, the other day about armored and by this guy that was, he was like, well, you didn't go into detail about this FBI guy and you didn't, you know, this, this FBI officer was like, what was he doing there? Why did you, you know? And you're like, I, you know, it would have been the uh, 500 page word, a 500 page book would have been a 1500 page book right. if I was, if, if my job was to, you know, I'm trying to make a fast paced story and not right. explain every possible permutation of everybody. It's like, he's in this city because he was, you know, his car ran out of gas or, you know, just like yeah. come up with answers for everything. And so it's a very, very small minority of readers, but uh, early in my career, I would find myself sort of writing in my first drafts, Fortunately, just my first drafts, uh, I kind of write things. So, well, now people can't go back to me and say, there's no way that that, you know, bullet could have ricocheted like that. You know, it's like I, I'm going into three pages of detail <laughs> and it was literally just to cover my butt. So I wouldn't get those emails. And and you you end up editing that out because you're like, all right, that's those people can't control <laughs> my writing. It's like I'm trying to keep this story fast paced. Well, well I think a lot of been, uh, if it would have uh, been 1500 pages, you would have gotten the complaints that, yeah, Brandy, would you just get to the point? Absolutely. You know? so, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry. I Josh, think a lot of, no, no, I think a lot of readers uh, appreciate, I know I do specifically the author uh, leaving a lot to context yeah. and, and how you're reading. And that makes me enjoy the story a lot more because yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine it happening or, you know, different ways. I think Stephen King in his on writing book said something about like writing is telepathy in that like he can see a cat on a coffee table in a room and he knows what kind of cat it is. Mm -hmm. So he can project that to you, but you see a completely different cat on a completely right. different coffee table in a completely different room. Right. And I absolutely love that about like your books. Not all, you paint the picture where you know, like you can see what's going on. You can see the boat he's on or the, the house that he's in or whatever. Yeah. But you can also imagine it in a way that you don't have to spin paragraphs on paragraphs, like saying this was the throw pillow over here or yeah. whatever, because I yeah. can see the room, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you're the, the only thing that matters when you're writing is the reader's perspective. And there's so many things where if you've got it as a writer, you're able to see your book through a reader's eyes. And, and like, is this the, what's the best possible time for them to learn this piece of information, which is really important for the third act, or what is the, you know, what is the exact level of detail to orient the reader in the scene for like an action scene or some sort of like physical location scene, you want to orient them there. And then you want them to sort of forget about. And then another thing that you do writing these types of books is you'll put more detail in scenes earlier in the book as you're sort of establishing things and trying mm -hmm. to build a feel and a mood. And at the end of the book, you, you do this quickening pace. Uh, so you're not, you know, when he enters a room, he's not smelling the candle or, or whatever, you know, he's 
busting through the room. And right. so it, it, it just, it's just whatever is best for the reader. And you think it, I, I will go like, okay, the reader's going to read this paragraph really quickly. So I'm going to put a bunch of little breaks in it. So they slow down and catch this one piece of important information that they might gloss over otherwise. And I'll just put that on its own line. It's his own paragraph. Um, my own grammar rules apply. <laughs> until, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, you do things like that and it's all about the reader's experience. It's like, you want them to, uh, gain this knowledge in the right order and, and with with the right sort of nuance of emotion and all these different things. I'm sure you never get it exactly right, but uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If the book does well, then you're like, okay, I, I got it close enough. Enough For people sure. were able to see see it and feel it and have kind of a cinematic reading experience. Through through the years of working on this series, what have you heard from readers um why do why do people resonate with this character the way they do? I think he's an empathetic and a vulnerable guy, as well as being this tough guy. He's uh, he's very much not tough, except for the scenes where he's tough. If that makes sense, um, yeah. Right. You know, people, someone like this probably doesn't exist in the world because you know I've known some really hard charging, you know, yeah, Delta Force guys or Team Six guys and stuff, and that's not what court is he is is trying to right wrongs and he has this incredible skill set but you know when he goes to another country he's empathetic about the people that live there he's he's mission focused but at the same time he'll go off mission to do something that he thinks is right and i think people respond to that and his vulnerability is that he's not a superhero he gets hurt um you know he has he doesn't get killed and and people be like, well, why did why would you read twelve books if you know the guy's going to live? And I'm always like, <laughs> you know, if, if James Bond died in the first eight minutes of one of his movies, I think that would be funny, honestly. Uh, you know, for the readers to sit there for an hour and fifty three minutes, you know, like now what? Uh, yeah, now what? Um, but it's just the rest of us just cue making sandwiches or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the survivors just kind of talking about. It. Um, <laughs> But it's like there's part of me, like the evil part of me would love to do that in a book, you know, just for the people that are like, ah, it's so unbelievable that he lives through all these things. Like, OK, I'll kill him on page nine. Right. And then uh, enjoy that book. But that would be career suicide. So I won't do that. But <laughs> it is I, I think people like the vulnerability, though, that that he can get hurt and he can be emotionally hurt and he pays an emotional and psychological price for some of the things he does. I always try and take that stuff really seriously. Meanwhile, in the next scene, he takes on 50 bad guys and swings on a jungle vine or, or, or whatever. But, it, you know, it, betwixt and between, you you want to think about how would this psychologically affect you? How would this exhaust your body? You know, how would how would you hurt when you wake up in the morning? All those things are kind of important uh, yeah. aspects of the story. And I think it helps with the character. The You know, the, the other thing that I like about Court is that you, you mentioned that he's not he doesn't have the typical like seal team six uh demeanor delta force yeah. de demeanor or whatever and and because he like he basically grew into this like this his whole life he didn't have military service um mm -hmm. so he and he understands like the military he he knows yeah. people of the military he, he knows all of that but he didn't experience it in that way he kind of exactly. got like an outside view of it and yeah. so i think that uh allows 
how many more uh, hundreds of thousands of readers to empathize directly with him because right. they have also yeah. not been in the military or experienced those, those things. And so yeah. they can kind of step into court's shoes, so to speak, and understand kind of the way he sees it because that's mm-hmm. also kind of how they see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want to have that POV of the reader in your lead character um, when you can uh, Sierra six, which was the last gray man book I did. There were scenes that mm-hmm. took place when he first joined this paramilitary unit of, at the CIA. He'd been working as a singleton, like a, a lone operator in, in Russia. And they fold him into this, uh, basically a, a paramilitary task force and every one of the other guys is former this and former that. And he doesn't know any of the acronyms. He doesn't know what they call the chow <laughs> hall and all. And he's, he's just annoyed by it all. And they're just flabbergasted that there's a guy who's a, who's a really good shooter that's joined their team, even though they think he's too young and, and, you know, doesn't know anything about the mili- military. They're just flabbergasted because they've been, that's the only people they've been around just as court, just as court has never been around them. That's all they've been around. So there had, there's this kind of thing like the average reader, if you took the average reader and threw them into the, you know, into a cage at seal team six, where they, where they keep all their equipment and everybody was, you know, smoking and joking with each other. It, it's a whole nother language. And I wanted to kind of show that a little bit. You know, you mentioned uh, killing, uh, court at the beginning of a book and you kind of like foe did that in relentless like when you uh, when you when you first meet high towers crew in the beginning but they're yeah, yeah. only talking about their numbers yeah and in yeah. my mind i'm like okay i know who sierra six is he's yeah, gonna yeah. come in and like and then uh, you know <laughs> things happen and then you're like i'm like wait a minute yeah, like, he, this he's, isn't- a, he's a different sierra six <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly yeah so funny um, in in burner um and and you've you've used Russia uh, as a as a set piece in mm-hmm. in several books um but it's it's definitely in the forefront of this book um you know there there's a lot going on with Russia around now. I don't know if you've watched the news or not um That's all, but, all I do <laughs> yeah it, and you know it's kind of hard to escape if you write the kind of books with international espionage and you know the you know Russia's just a big player they they have been for decades and probably will be you know into the future does it ever concern you when you start writing a book that that people are going to look for um you know some subtext there or are you ever afraid of you know dealing with with real life issues in a work of fiction or or people thinking that you're dealing with real life does that ever Uh, you know factor into your thinking I mean, it factors into my thinking and that I want to do it well and do it, you know, accurately, but it's not any sort of like moral question whether I should talk about real things that are happening. Sierra, I mean, um, uh, Burner is very much not one page takes place in Ukraine and it's not a military novel. There's not a single tank or infantry person in there, but the backdrop of the whole book is the war in Ukraine. And I spent last spring and summer desperately trying to figure out what the lay of the land was going to be, you know, the following February. Today is the one year anniversary of the war, of the stage of the war. I mean, the war really started in 2014, but um, I, I just, 
I just want to get it as accurate as possible. But I mean, I do have, and I don't want to be preachy about stuff. I mean, yeah. this book is, this book is pro Ukraine. There are some pro Russian people out there. They chase me around on Twitter and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, I don't know if they're bots or trolls or, or just idiots. There's some idiots. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that right now we're, Europe is having the largest land war that they've had in 75 years. And it's going on yeah. right now, you know, and I think it's, I think it's worth writing about, especially if you're writing these geopolitical stories. Um, my next book that isn't going to touch Russia at all because you don't want to get repetitive and redundant and you don't want to like lose your spark. But um, yeah, I, you know, I've talked about the Syrian war in a book and I've talked about the cartel crisis, or, you know, the Mexican situation and all sorts of different things. Um, and I, and I like that because that's what I like to read. I like to learn a bunch of things it, within a, a piece of work that's really inter entertaining. And the entertainment is 90% of it, but the 10% of it fixes you to a reality. And that's just the that's just how my books work. I could never write a fantasy novel or something. That just seems so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one one of the the benefits to writing a uh, a long running series is the the world building, if you will. You speaking of fantasy novels, is kind of already done. We we know the world that these characters are living in. We we know. Um, you know, court and all the tertiary characters, and we we've got the the connections established, and and we kind of understand how the world works. So when you start thinking about a new book, where does that process start? Do you do you start looking at places on on the globe where something could spark off, and then you know, then how does that affect characters? You know, how do I involve my characters in this thing going on? Like, wh what do you start doing to? to kind of unravel what the plot's going to be for the next book. It's different at different times. Uh, there will just be something, well, early in my career, it was easy because you had, I had 50 ideas or maybe not 50, maybe 15 because I wrote 15 yeah. books. And then, so now, you know, I'm not looking, I'm not thinking about three gray man books from now, what I'm going to do. I, I have no idea. And I don't have time to stop and think about it. I have to throw everything into the gray man book I'm writing right now and then let tomorrow's problem, you know, happen tomorrow but there there are things within the story arc all the books are standalone you don't have to read them in any order or you don't have to read you know the first 11 to read book 12 or whatever but there are there are longer story arcs that take place obviously in the series and i kind of know where i want some of them to go and like some of the problems that different characters are going to have with each other uh but that's not a plot for a book, you know, that that's yeah. not enough to get you to start writing. That's just sort of like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to fold that into whatever my plot is. So, you know, I'm fascinated by different things. Um, the book 13 in the gray man book involves uh, artificial intelligence and robotics. And I'm doing a lot of research on that. And it's, there's a lot to research right now. Yeah, There's a lot to research. Um, yeah. Somebody said, are you going to write a book about balloons? And uh, I was talking, <laughs> I was talking to my agent and I was going like, I just don't think you could make a balloon look scary on the cover of a book. And uh, it's just, it doesn't feel like much of a thriller, you know, it's just, unless it's like the, the balloon and it, that's pretty much the only scary balloon in the world. I don't think. Right. But, but yeah, so you're, you're always looking at what's going on in the world and saying, is this something I can or should write about? But I don't look that far down the road. So I don't have this like big plan. It's just kind of like, all right, it's time to write a new book. What's out there. What's interesting. Now I do, you did ask about like locations or looking at the globe. Yeah. I, I have written books 100% cause I wanted to go to a certain location. I mean, I've, I've located the books there. Um, 
Dead Eye, which was my smart man. Yeah, I mean, um, you just like, how do you not? You you you, only, you can only go on a certain number of international trips, and uh, I had seen that movie, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I oh, yeah. I thought Sweden looks so cool and at winter time, and I live in the south, and if we get a dusting of of snow, we all turn into cannibals. You know, we're we're yes. not used to that sort of stuff. <laughs> you can eating. toilet paper now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I, was just, I was just like, I want to go, I want to go to Sweden and I want to go in winter and I'll, I'll locate a book there. So I, I had this book dead eye, which was the fourth gray man book. And it was a kind of a cat and mouse story about a guy who was very similar to court. They're part of the same team, but he's trying to use court's identity and, and do some bad stuff and court's trying to stop him. So I could have put that anywhere. Like that's all I had for a plot. And then I was like, where do I want to do it? It's like, oh, I want to go to Sweden because I went to the theater and saw a girl with the dragon tattoo. It's like, that's where I'll do it. That seems cool. <laughs> and I, I wrote Relentless. It all takes place in Berlin. My intention was to go there and, and live in an apartment there for a few weeks. I've been to Berlin 15 times in my life. And I love it's a very interesting city. Um, unfortunately, COVID was going really bad at the time. So I had to write Berlin from, <laughs> from Memphis, Tennessee. Fortunately, I'd been there many times. But like my intention for placing the story there was it was a, you know, it was a good spy story. And Berlin's like a great city for that. So, you know, you start out with just the thinnest threads of ideas and connections between different things. And then, you know, what I always recommend to writers is don't don't worry about plotting the whole thing out. Don't don't get riveted in place because you don't have all the answers. Um, yeah. All you need is a couple paragraphs on page one to get started, you know, or yeah. or either the opening or maybe not the opening of the book. I, some of my books, I'll just think of a piece of dialogue that I want the characters to say to each other and I'll write that first. And then I start building from there. So that's how I do it. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people during COVID, a lot of writers uh, learned that there's a lot of details that you can pick up using Google street view mm -hmm. and, you know, going to another city. And, and those are definitely helpful. Yeah. Um, but when you go on location to a place what are you looking for, listening for, smelling for? Are, are there things that, that that you're looking to gather or do you just kind of be in this place and, and let whatever it is that's unique about this place come to you? Yeah, I'll, there's always um, specific objectives, but then you 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 literally just have to have all your senses open to what I call the atmospherics of the location and these little things. And, uh, and you know, I... I had this conversation with Brad Taylor, who's another thriller author yeah. friend of mine, and he does location research. And we we agreed sort of we were laughing because we were both saying the same thing at the same time. It's like the reason you do the location research is because you did it once and realized how wrong you were about your preconceived notions mm -hmm. of, of a location. And then you're like, wow, I've got to do it. Now, you know, two years of COVID, I wasn't able to do any location research. And earlier in my career, I wrote a book called Gunmetal Gray from my couch at home because I had to have yep. ankle two ankle surgeries. And, um, and so I wasn't able to go, but yeah, so I used Google street view and I read stuff and I watched movies from Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand and, and tried to get it as, as correct as possible. So there, there are resources. There's a resource on YouTube. It's just, you just type in walking in and the name of the city, you can say walking in Saigon or walking in Tokyo or, or, or Mumbai or whatever. And then you could just watch hours of people just walking, you know, they're just first person thing of just walking down the street and then you just see the types of cars and you see the way people talk to each other and you, you know you you can learn a million atmospherics from the internet um but it's it's nice to go there when you can 
I would sure. not have guessed that you hadn't been uh, in gun gunmetal gray. I would not have, have guessed that you, you hadn't been there. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I really like about, you know, the, the different novels taking place in, in, in different locations, um, you get kind of a fresh start. You can kind of, uh, get into the, you don't have to remember where things were in other yeah. novels or anything like that, but yeah. But on top of the different places and locations that you go to, uh, a lot of times you switch up your writing style, like the actual structure of the book. And you've done it uh, most notably, I think it was with eight when you use yeah. kind of a, a different POV shift with the, yeah. the other ones. But also like in Relentless uh, or CR6, rather, where you're jumping between timelines as, yeah. a, as a structure thing. And uh, first of all, I love when authors do that because it, it takes a lot of guts uh, to do that mid series, right? right like it, right. Um, to try something out and, yeah. uh, and, you know, whether it works or not, it, it was still, you know, it's, it's obviously still a cool way to explore what you're writing about. Yeah. Um, do you like when you, when you wrote eight <clears throat> and then you went on to nine or whatever, then with, with Sierra six doing the different timelines, when you have your original plot idea, do you, decide then i'm going to do it as a just a kind of a regular gray man or do i want to change it up and do different timelines or povs or what, are those just kind of one-off ideas that you're like i'm going to try this yeah those were two specific instances where i felt it worked for the story um actually the second one sierra six which is the dual timelines that was a that was a complicated one not just because it was dual timelines but you realize that if you're talking about something that your character has done in the past, there's no skin in the game for the reader because they know he's going to live or, or whatever. Right. So I had to tie it to something contemporary. And my, you know, I talked to my editor about that and he's, he's like, good idea. He thought maybe 10% of the book was going to take place in the present. And it was all about something that happened in the past that, you know, that at the very end, you're like, Oh, that's who this guy is or something like that. Yeah. And as I started to design the story, I'm like, what if I do just chapter Chapter 12 years ago, chapter today, chapter, you know, are people going to be annoyed by that? But I thought I, I want both timelines, the present and the past to be kind of equally exciting. And I, I just didn't want it to be when you flip the page and it was a different timeline, people, you know, the wind leaving people's sails. So right. that made me just build the story that way. And it ended up being two 80,000 word novels that each chapter, even though they were in different timelines, related to something that happened in that ch chapter. So it came kind of organically by me getting in over my head and digging myself out, if that makes sense. You know, <laughs> right. like, I didn't really think about it. I thought I was just going to write this thing where it's like this, all this stuff happens in the past and boom, that leads to something in the present. But as I was writing it, I was like, I need the stuff in the present to be cool too. So it turned into two different novels. For One Minute Out, which was the one that I wrote in first person, third person, um, mm -hmm. the hero's is in first person. I thought that I wanted to do that for a while in a book. Court is, is most interesting when he's playing off of other people and the dialogue and, and his relationships with other people. And there were big swaths of one minute out as I was kind of starting to write it where, or even actually as I envisioned it before I started to write it where I was like, okay, he's going to be totally by himself. He's, he doesn't have Confederates. Uh, he does later in the book, but not people that he's close to and not people that the, you know, not native speakers. So the dialogue wouldn't bounce back, you know, the way that courts dialogue can. And so I said, this might be the book 
to try first person for. And I wrote a few chapters and gave it to my editor. And he said, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. And I will say it was very well received book. It's my only gray man book to hit number one on the New York times list. I've hit number four the last couple of years. Um, so it did really well. And if you look at like reviews on Amazon, it's got 95%, four or five stars, but I have more people hate that book than any other <laughs> book that I wrote. Like there's, there's a, there's a subset of people that are like, you can't change the rules midstream. Right. And maybe you can't, I mean, to some people, maybe you can't, I, 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 I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I, I see it differently and, and that's going to happen sometimes. Um, I've read I mean, books. admittedly, it took me a couple of chapters to sure. get into the the flow, the and rhythm. Like, okay, yeah, this is and where I, it's at. And I expected that. I thought it. I expected it to be really, really jar, jarring. You know, right after the uh, the preface or whatever, where he just kind of like boom, he's talking to you. Suddenly, the right. gray man is, is talking to you. It would be like you know, watching every James Bond movie, and suddenly he looked at the camera and started telling you what he was going to do. That <laughs> right. would be jarring, right? Right. Right. Um, but I thought the reasons were made it worth a chance, and I, I'm happy with it. I can't say I won't do it again. Um, I, I've gotten a lot of hate mail for it, um, and I, I get a lot of people going like, "Hey, something's different about this book. I'm not sure what it is." And I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, it's, I think in that book specifically, like, like he spends a lot of time by himself, like you said. But there's a a, a metric crap ton of that book that is super dark. Like, sure. especially with yeah. the, the material and the stuff that you're yeah. dealing with in that book. And so yeah. I think not having that levity that him, his POV brings to the book right. could have made it like just an extremely, extremely dark book. And I think having like the different sides of that helps yeah. like push through. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. I don't think I thought about that, but, but yeah. So if you were just in regular third person while he's by himself, while it, it involves sex trafficking and just really horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, if you just saw him doing it and then you got a little bit of the omniscient narrator saying what he was thinking. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have been just kind of this cold, dark story because it is at its core. But yeah. once you have him kind of like ex explaining his thought processes and um, you know, the, the humor that is able to be, woven in there i do think it it brings some life or humanity or something to a story that probably wouldn't have, have had a lot otherwise so that's a for good sure point. yeah you you mentioned uh earlier when we were talking mark about how um when you were writing that that scuba diving scene that you didn't know how it was going to turn out mm -hmm. um but then uh a minute ago you were talking about how you were laying out a book um before you were um writing so talk a little bit if you would about your your planning process what what does it look like what what is your pre-writing process look like yeah so it fluctuates um i'm i'm happy i think i think i'm happy that uh i've just written my biggest outline for any gray man book for the one that i'm writing now um and i feel less rudderless than i do in in most februarys or, or whatever <laughs> where you're you're going like i've got this really vague hazy notion of this kind of a story and uh and now i sort of i have a lot of the beats out i i've always written something uh outline wise or really synopsis what wise it's more like a little story about what happens and i do it to give it to my editor so we can talk about it but I also, you know, I like to build out something. But then what happens is we'll we'll talk about it and be like, oh, he'll be like, that's great. You know, I'm looking forward to it. 
And then I don't ever really read it or refer to it. It's not like a, it's not like source material or anything. It was just something that I built on the page to, to get my head around what I, what I'm going to be writing. And I think probably the reason I don't go back and read it is because if I did go back and read it one third of the way in, I'd be screwed up because I, I do make changes on the day. So yeah. it's, it's literally kind of, it's not so much a roadmap as it, it's a, you know, a guy on the corner, like pointing in that direction saying, <laughs> keep on going. Um, yeah. I wish it was more of a roadmap. I, I, I have this, and I say this publicly a lot. And um, it's like, I ha have the biggest fantasy of being like a super organized writer. Like every book I'm like, this is the one where I'm going to have this perfect work-life balance and I'm going to go in and work with a smile on my face and go, I'm kicking butt. And then I'm going to, you know, go do other stuff. But it, you know, every page every day is some kind of a struggle or you know fits and starts one step forward two steps back you know that that happens throughout the whole thing I, I i really feel like writing and i don't think i've said this before but i need to come up with a better way to say this because i think it's clever um we'll see if it is you, you get you can tell me otherwise um it's not going to look clever now because i don't have a way to say this but um i think writing is it's one of the only jobs that you never really have an awesome day at it you know it's like it's, it's so incremental. I mean, if you're writing a novel, yeah. even the day you finish it, what have you done? You finished a draft, which is better than the day before and the, you know, the 150 days before that or whatever. But still, you know that it's got more to do, more to do, more to do. And even when I do my last of my proofreads and my last, you know, things that I send back to the publisher and I turn it in. There's never this like, yeah, you know, it's more like, uh, I wonder what's wrong. I wonder what's going to make it wrong on the page, which, right. which does happen. So it's almost like every day you're, you're just picking away at, at a sculpture that, you know, someday it'll be finished, but it's it's not going to be the way that you thought it was going to be at the beginning. And, you know, it, it's a, it, it always just feels kind of um, you have to do it because you love doing it because, you, you don't really have successful days. It's not like you're a salesman and you just sold five cars or, you know, and had a great day. Right. Yep. You know, I, I guess the writing 3000 words would, would feel like that or something, but still, you know, Oh yeah, I wrote 3000 words today. I wrote, you know, one half of 1% of my book or, or whatever, 2% of my book. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to edit it tomorrow and it'll probably take me as long to edit it as it did to write it. So. Right. I always liked the, the, uh, when you type, you know, you finish your edits or your proofs or whatever, and you sent the final copy in. Yeah. I always like inevitably, I'm just like, finally, I'm done with that stupid book yeah, exactly. and I don't have to look at it again. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you're lucky, you don't have to go right to I always have. I always have something else I need to start. But sometimes I like last year, I made myself kind of take a couple months off. I was pl plotting the next book, but, you know, like I'm not going to just sit there with my Word document open typing. You know, I, I just... I've got to get my brain, you know, thinned out a little bit before I can take on another one. So do, do you know your end point for when you begin writing that first draft? Like, and, 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 yeah, yeah I, I understand that your, your, your outline is fluid as you go, yeah. but do you, yeah. have you, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you use that planning process as kind of to mentally lay out where the story's going, knowing that you'll vary, but you're, you're going to the same place. Yes. And it, and it's not, it's not so much a specific ending. It's just sort of like, I don't know if the villains are going to live or die or how successful they're or unsuccessful they're going to be. Um, that just kind of happens on the day. I kind of like endings that are a little bit melancholy and not so like everything tied up with a neat little bow. So, you know, it's, 
it's always a crapshoot how the story is going to end. It, it's it's not always going to be that the evil is vanquished and the hero you know rides off on a horse. Um, I, but I do have some sort of view that like, all right, this book is going to set him up for the next book where he's doing something else with the CIA because he didn't do it in the last couple books. Or, you know, I want him to see his father again. So I want to set it, set that up beforehand. So you kind of have these, these little points along the road. And one of those points is kind of the end and you, and you don't have it very well mapped out, but you kind of go like, yeah, okay. So there'll be some sort of, big thing. I like this uh, one minute out, for example, it's like, I wanted it to end up, it was, it started like in Bosnia with sex trafficking. And then it led all the way to like uh, Beverly Hills or Hollywood Hills or something. And I wanted to show that it was a worldwide thing. And, and it, this wasn't like swarthy people in another country doing something bad. This is like us too. And so I, I saw that at the beginning, but I didn't know that there was going to be this big fight at this, this house and the, the, here, the villain was going to get cornered by, um, you know, the, the sister of the woman who, you know, he kidnapped, you know, all the, all these different things that all just came along as I was writing. Um, the, uh, that a few months ago, a lot of people met, uh, court, the gray man for the first time on Netflix, uh, because we got this, this great gray man movie um starring uh Ryan Gosling Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling. thank you. I was thinking the blonde headed guy I can't think mm -hmm. of his name um and what a fun movie that was not exactly like a gray man novel yeah um but a lot of fun uh, all the same uh yeah first off how, how do you feel that how do you feel Netflix handled your character and um it has to be exciting to know that it, it's almost like a calling card for your series of books. Is yeah. that how you look at it? That is a hundred percent how I look at it. I, I say it's kind of the best commercial that I could have for my novels. And uh, as far as how Netflix handled the character, I thought they, they did the gray man perfectly. They did court gentry or CR six perfectly in the story. Like I thought Gosling was, was great. He didn't over, he didn't overdo anything. It didn't get cheesy or schmaltzy. He didn't go for like a tough guy demeanor. He just went for the demeanor exactly as I write the gray man. It's like, right. He really doesn't want to be doing this. He'd rather be sitting on his boat, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and I thought that was, they nailed that story wise. I think it's 60% of what I wrote in the book and 40% yeah. different things. And some of those different things I totally get. I mean, I really get them all, but, um, you know, it's a $200 million film, so they couldn't make it as gritty because you wouldn't have the wide viewership that for they sure. needed for something right. like that. Um, so they they made it a little more James James Bond or Fast and Furious or whatever you want to say and a little less um, edgy. But I really like the fact that the books and the movie are different in that there's still a reason to see to read a book if you see the movie. And if, yeah. you, if you've read the books, you see the movie – you're not just getting kind of a rehash of what you read on the page. Yeah. I think that would be cool. And I think my fans that don't like the movie, that's, that's what bothers them is like, they saw it very differently in, in the page, you know, when they read it. Um, but I, I think it's fine that they're, that they're different. It's a, it is a stylized version of, of what's in the books. And I'm, I'm happy with it. I kind of like that. It's different because um, it, it, inevitably when when page gets put on film something's always wrong like so it never yeah. matches up 
exactly that you you miss out on important scenes that were in the book or yeah. or you know yeah there's, there's a always, shorthand yeah right um and so i think that like if it had been you know let's just say it was based on exactly what happened in the first book they wouldn't have been able to do all of the stuff that you did in the book and so it wouldn't have measured up anyway and yeah. so there would have been a lot of people going oh you didn't do this or you did this yeah it, because it's a it's its whole other thing you can enjoy that for just its whole thing that is its own gray man story and its own gray man area over there yeah, and exactly. all of the books are their own stories as well so you yeah. don't have like i liked this first of the story better it's a completely yeah. different in my mind anyway yeah lee, lee child used to say uh you know to people that didn't like the tom cruise jack reachers he's like well the books are still there on the shelf and they're they look exactly, exactly. the same as they did and i've literally had people in interviews ask me if i'm going to change my books to follow along with the movie and i look at them like they're idiots <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> i just right. I'm like, like what why would i do that <laughs> why like, would I, I, do, I didn't do anything wrong i don't have to go back and fix my stuff it's like yeah it's just, it's just two different it, two different things. Well, and the audiobooks exist, which is kind of this perfect thing between you holding a book and reading it and watching a movie. Mm -hmm. you, you kind of get this mixed experience and you know I listen to all of them on audiobook, like all the way through right oh, yeah. in a row. And right. uh, I thought that the performances were fantastic. Yeah, he's so um, good. Yeah. He's and good. I also I listened to the uh the audio production of armored before I got, before the book came out. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, and I absolutely love that. Oh, I'm glad yeah. you did. I'm uh, glad yeah, you did. Most amazing. people did. Uh, the people who didn't, it's kind of like one minute out. The people that didn't like it, well, right. they, didn't, well they didn't like it. <laughs> the, the, the thing that, um, the, that I had to force my, as a writer, I had to force myself to go. I know why they did that. Even yeah. though it's like, you know, when they're one of, there's a, uh, chase at near the end of the book where they're they're in the armored cars or the the trucks mm. and through because everything happens through dialogue yeah the the character is like i'm gonna get in the front seat and drive yeah right yeah. And, yeah. It, and as a writer you're like come on that's on the nose dialogue yeah. and all that stuff but yeah. as a listener to this i understand why no it was there it. and 100 yeah. and it and it made sense in in how the the action was flowing and all of that stuff. And it, yeah. it didn't feel ham fisted at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great production. Thank you. So I wrote, I wrote that obviously. Um, but, uh, I, I agreed to write this audio play, um, based on a screenplay I was working on and was never going to finish because I didn't have a contract for it. And screenplays are hard and, yeah. and I always have books to write. So <laughs> right. like, we'd love you to do an audio play. I'll, I was like, all right, look at this. And if you like it, I'll turn that into an audio play. And they liked it. And then I was like, all right, let's turn it into an audio play. And like, you know, on page one, I'm like, Oh my God, how do you do this? This is right. And, and they had sent me scripts and I'd listened to other audio plays. So I figured it out pretty quickly but it ended up being 618 pages. Um, wow. And, and it's all, it's every audio cue I put in there. Every, you know, you have these moments where you're going like, Oh, I just want to put a narrator in here and explain. And right. but, but I couldn't, you can do that, but I think it would have just made it cheesy. So, yeah. you know, the scenes just open up and, you know, you have to do these little dialogue cues for people to know what's going on. And some of them are a little hokey. I did do things like everybody in the armored vehicle could see out a different porthole. So they had to keep telling each other what they saw. Yeah. And that was a, just a mechanical thing that I had, right. you know, I had to do. I created, uh, it, so it, it, it moves away from what's going on with the action to 
the hero's wife who's been uh, is being interrogated by the FBI. Uh, you assume after the fact until the end and you realize it's all happening at the same time. Right. And, and that was all put in there as a device to orient people with what's going on. Um, in the novel version I wrote after that, none of that happens. I mean, she she's interviewed by the FBI, but at, at, at the place in the story where she would be. For sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a very fast hour. Um, Mark, oh, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Mark's brand new book, burner is available everywhere now you can go grab it in hard copy uh, or audiobook as we were talking about uh, or kindle edition it's available in every edition that that you want to grab um we'll put links to all the places where you can get it in the show notes of this episode mark if people want to uh you know read up on everything that you're doing you you have a, a massive back catalog that people can dig into where can they find you and, and dig into all that great stuff um, I'm on social media, but also my website is markgrainybooks.com, uh, G-R-E-A-N-E-Y books.com. And uh, that you one click and you'll see all, my, all the books that I've written. Excellent. We will link that up as well. Mark, thank you so much for taking time to come on. You the bet. Show. This was fun. Hey. I enjoyed this. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.